This is the moment when, once you've gotten through uh, putting your offering in the uh, offering bag, you want to take your smartphone or your tablet and open up the Evangel app because in there are all of the announcements that we've just given you, but also some notes you want to follow along with today. And there's actually quite a bit we're covering today, and so we want to make sure that you get it. So I really encourage you to use the app because you've got some notes in there that you can follow along with. Also, I want you to brace yourself this morning because we're going to give you an opportunity, and I'm just giving you warning now. We're going to give you an opportunity a little bit later in the service, just briefly within a very controlled atmosphere and good guidelines to actually talk to one another. What? I don't want to talk to anybody. Just, just, just look to the left and look to the right and see that the people around you are friendly. Okay, go ahead. Just, you have to actually turn your head to do that. Like this. Oh, see, they don't bite. They're super nice. Now, when we get to this moment, if you go, I am such an introvert, Pastor Patty, and I cannot cope with this, you just bow your head and go, it's fine. I don't want to talk. It'll be fine when that moment comes. But I wanted to give you an opportunity. I want to give you warning ahead of time so you could get your courage up because we serve God together, not just individually. And so there's going to be a moment when we get you to just talk to each other just a little bit, okay? It's going to be okay. Say it with me. You ready? It's going to be okay. You don't sound convinced. One, two, three. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay, I promise. So we're doing this series called The Story. Lots of you have um, purchased the books that go along with it, which is an abridged version of the Bible. And uh, we've said that right out loud. We don't want you to get rid of your regular Bibles. This one is written uh, chronologically, beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. And we're taking several months to go through the whole thing, which involves a lot of big picture thinking. And so just to get your head in the right space, so far, we started with creation, right? In the beginning, God created. And, and there's this understanding that right from the very beginning, God has this desire to share life with us, to share life with humanity. Now, now that gets wrecked pretty quickly because sin enters the world, which is part of Adam and Eve's choice. And because of that choice that they make, it doesn't just impact them. It impacts all of humanity. And we end up having, um, the best way I could describe it is like this spiritual DNA that has sin in it. And no matter what we do, we can't overcome it. And sin is a problem. Sin comes between humanity and God, stops us from having that shared life with God. It creates a break in the relationship. And so, so there's this thing right from the beginning that there's a problem, but there's also hints from the beginning that God's going, I'm going to solve it. Okay? So then we move forward in time, and we come across a guy named Abraham. And Abraham, is, he's, he's called by God. He says, God says, I'm going to, you're the chosen one. And I'm going to use you. And I'm going to, I'm giving you this promise. I'm going to make you a covenant. And he says, you are going to have countless descendants. You are going to have a specific land that you're in. And all nations are going to be blessed through you, through your family and your descendants. And, and it's this covenant that God makes where God says to Abraham, God, he says, Abraham, if you don't hold up your end of this covenant, it's on me. And if I don't hold up my end of this covenant, it's on me, which is pointing forward to Jesus paying the price for our sins, even though he's not the one that deserves it. And so God is already starting. He reveals himself little bit by little bit through scripture from the beginning to the end. And it, and it comes in this. He's showing I am a faithful God. I am a God that makes a promise and I'm going to keep it. I'm going to be faithful. And so the promise gets passed on from Abraham to Abraham's son, Isaac. And then it gets passed from Isaac to his son, Jacob. And then it gets passed from Jacob to Jacob's 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And they end up in Egypt. 
And they end up in Egypt, and it's a good thing at first because they're being saved from famine. But then as time goes by, Egypt becomes a very hostile place. They end up in slavery there, and it's awful. And so then some more time goes by, and we have a guy named Moses. And God says to Moses, I'm going to get you to bring my people out of Egypt, and I'm going to fulfill the promise and move them into the promised land. And so, so Moses, you know, goes, let my people go to Pharaoh, and there's all these plagues, and the plagues undermine Egypt's gods, and God is showing who he is, that he's not just a God who makes a promise and keeps a covenant. He's also a God who is superior to all the other gods. He's demonstrating that through this whole thing, and so he's revealing who he is little by little. And this is, it starts getting more complex because it's one thing and it's fairly simple and fairly straightforward, you know, when it's just God and one person, God and Abraham. That's, that's pretty straight up. But now it's getting more complicated because now it's God and, well, two million people, <laughs> right? The nation of Israel. And that, that gets a little bit complicated. And so um, Moses brings the children of Israel to the edge of the promised land, and they're all ready. It's going to be good. We're just, God's like, okay, I've fulfilled this promise. I've fulfilled. Now you're here. Are you ready to go in? And they went, mm, we don't like it. We don't like the promise. We'd rather die. And God goes, okay. <laughs> and so they wander around, and they, he, God goes, okay, you can wander around because God is superior to other gods. He is over all. But he's not going to micromanage all of humanity and their choices. He's not going to do that. So he's going, fine. You're also going to learn that obedience is part of the journey. And that, and that the journey, a sin, is a real problem if we, if we include that on. So they wander around for 40 years because they go, we don't want to go in. We'd rather die. God goes, done. So they wander around for 40 years, and that whole generation dies. And the next generation grows up. And now, now this time, they're back. They're back at the edge of the promised land. This time, they're going in. They're not going to make that same mistake twice. Moses has died. Joshua is in charge now. Joshua is the guy that Moses trained and rose up as a leader. And so the next stop now is Jericho and the promised land. And this is where we all go, woo-hoo. Okay, do that with me. Ready? Woo. That's good, right? Okay, this is where it gets complicated. (laughs) If you're paying any attention at all, this is complicated. Now, it's not complicated if you think the Bible's just a fairy tale. If you think the Bible's a fairy tale or a myth or some kind of a legend, no problem with what comes next. It's very simple because in myths and in fairy tales and in legends, you have very clearly good guys, very clearly bad guys. The bad guys go after the good guys. The good guys don't know what to do. Help! And then a hero comes along or a god comes along and they save the day and there's usually some kind of a mighty battle and then Frodo finally gets the one ring to Mordor, right? And the orcs are destroyed and they all live happily ever after in Middle Earth. I mean, I mean the promised land. Sorry. Got mixed up there. But if we believe the Bible is true, which we do, then this this actually gets really complicated and it's tough stuff. Because as it turns out, this promised land that Israel is going to go in and possess because it's God's promise to them, it's already inhabited. There are already people living there. Not orcs. People. And the only way to go in and take God's promise is, it seems, to invade, which it seems is what God tells them to do. And it's not an invasion of kindness or joy. It's war. And people are going to die. 
And what do we do with that? I mean, how can that be? How can the God who said, you shall not murder and you shall not steal, how can that God now tell them to invade and take over somebody else's land in order to obtain God's promise? And how are we supposed to be okay with that? Just got very serious, hey? It's a tough question. And there aren't any simple answers, so I'm not going to give you simple answers today. We're going to talk a little bit about this with some humility and some thoughtfulness, hopefully, okay? Because, so uh, let me just say, first of all, it's not going to have a simple answer. And for the record, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with recognizing that my brain doesn't understand all of God. If it did, it would be a very small God. I don't understand, I don't understand how chemotherapy works. I don't understand how an arch holds itself up. I don't get that. I, I don't understand, you know, any movie that comes out about time travel and the consequences that happen, I'm just lost. I don't understand how that works. So I'm okay with going, well, I don't understand God completely. I'm okay with that. But Christianity is not a faith where we just say, well, just close your eyes and leap in. It's blind faith and don't think. Just just go with it. We don't do that. God, God has given us a brain. He's called us to think, and, and there's nothing wrong with being thoughtful about our faith. Christianity is also not a faith where we go, well, I'll just take it buffet style, then I'll take the pieces I like and leave the pieces that I don't, and then it'll be fine. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't really work either. And so our spiritual maturity is going to come by facing some of the tough questions and really wrestling with them and, and anticipating that we might not understand it completely, but at least we can, we can put some thought into it. So can I just say to you, before we dive too far in, don't be afraid to wrestle with your faith. You should wrestle with your faith. And if you have some hard questions and some tough questions that you go, I just, I'm struggling with this, I absolutely guarantee you, you're not the first one. Our faith has a rich tradition of centuries of scholars and leaders and, 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 and people that have dug in and said, how do, we, how do we reconcile this? How do we work this out? And they've wrestled with tough questions, and it's good to engage with some of that. Now, it might take some digging. And it might take some work, and it, it might take some time on your part. And, and, but, but can I, and, and that's fine, but can I just say to you, don't blow off your faith because you can't find an easy answer. Like, like don't blow off your faith because you can't find a meme on Twitter or 140 characters that just fully explains God, okay? God is bigger than Twitter, okay? Turn to the person beside you and go, God is bigger than Twitter, Okay? So I searched for some help on this, and I did some digging, and I checked a couple of sources that I trust. There's lots of sources out there. Here's what I did. I checked with a friend who has a doctorate in historical theology, because that's pretty smart. His name is Dom Russo, and he's one of the pastors in the city, and he's spoken here a couple times. And so he helped. I said, Dom, talk me through this. And I also checked uh, a website that's uh, Rabbi Zacharias International Ministries, which is one of the leading websites for Christian apologetics, for really thinking about your faith and engaging with the tough questions. I want you to know that if you have the app open, we have in the app a link to a one-hour video that addresses this very question. It is an excellent video, and I recommend that, that you watch it. And if you go, well, an hour, I mean, Patty, I'm busy. Yep, it's an hour. And, and study takes time. And by the way, most episodes of Game of Thrones are longer than that. So, yeah. So if you have tough questions, this website's a good place to start, okay? 
So from that and the digging that I did, I'm going to offer you some thoughts today. Some of them might help. Some of them you might go, I'm not sure. But, but they're not going to be easy answers. They're just thoughts. And hopefully they move us from a place of being overly simplistic in our faith to a place of going, oh, well, I hadn't thought about that. Okay? So, so let me start with the human perspective, with our perspective here on earth. And let me just say to you right, from the, right off the bat, the Bible is not removed from human history or cultural context. It's not separate from that. And God reveals himself bit by bit within that context. The Bible is not a series of moralistic platitudes or universal truths or just a list of little philosophies that are living in some kind of a heavenly bubble. The Bible is, to a great extent, story. And it's the story of God, but it's the story of God at work with real people in real cultures, in a real world, at real points in history, and that world is not a perfect world. It's a sinful world. It's a world that's been really messed up by sin, and so nothing is as it was supposed to be, and it hasn't been since Eden, okay? So we see God working within those cultures, even though they're imperfect. So we see God often working in, within patriarchal societies, for example, where men are valued at a a higher level than women. Does that mean that God values men more than women? Nope. It's just the society that he's working within. Uh, The society that that God is working within in the Old Testament is a society that has this law uh, of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth fairness, meaning if somebody pokes your eye out, you have the right to poke their eye out, kind of like an episode of the Three Stooges, right? You get to poke their, because that's fair, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Now, when you go forward, remember we said God is revealing himself bit by bit through scripture. When you go forward and you take a sneak peek forward at Jesus, you see Jesus saying things like, you have heard that it was said, but I say, and he's revealing more of God. So when you talk about, for example, this idea of eye for an eye, which by the way, was a step up from an endless blood feud that just kept escalating and going on and on. It was like, no, you can't also cut off their hand, just an eye for an eye. That's it. That was a step forward. Jesus says, you heard eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but I say, and he, and he calls to a higher standard. He reveals more of God. Forgive your enemy. Turn the other cheek. We see this also in the way Jesus talks about marriage. He looks back at Moses' day, and he says, you know, Moses said you could get divorced for almost any reason, but I say, and he calls them to a higher standard, and he says, Moses let you do that because of the hardness of your hearts. It was God accommodating the culture, the society that he was in, and Jesus goes, but I'm calling you to a higher standard. So there's this bit-by-bit revealing of who God is, and it's not until we see Jesus that we see the fullest revelation or revealing of who God is, okay? You with me so far? Okay, I'm going to take that as a yes. The truth is that all of that revelation and all of that revealing of God is happening in the context of an imperfect world, a messed up world, and God is choosing to limit himself within those limitations. So Israel maybe is in a time and place, a cultural context, where maybe this is how migration happens. This is how national boundary lines change. This is what happens when a people group expands and needs a place to live. I don't know, but can I just say, that would not be the only time in history that has happened. So human history is is complex. Now, let me just, every history, furthermore, is incomplete. 
just by its nature. You can't possibly tell all the sides to all the stories in, in everything. You can't do that. This is why married couples interrupt each other because they want to tell the other side of the story. Don't just listen to Jeff's story. Okay, you need to hear my side of the story. You got to have all the sides of the story. And so, and so when you, so for example, when Jeff and I moved to Quebec, people in Quebec started talking about construction break, like that's normal. And we were like, what on earth is a construction break? But if something seems normal to somebody in their story, they're not going to explain it because they go, it's normal. Everybody knows. Everybody doesn't know. I didn't know that in the province of Quebec, people just stop working for two weeks in the summer. I didn't know that. And so, but it wasn't explained until I knew to ask the question. So it's not going to occur to Israel to explain something that they think is normal. It's not going to occur to them that another society they've never heard of might have a different version of normal. So here's, here's an example. My friend Dom mentioned this to me on the phone. He said, you know, Patty, when you look at Abraham, and, and God said to Abraham, you're going to sacrifice your son. And Abraham said, okay, What? Why didn't he protest? Why didn't he say, no, this can't be right. This is not who God is. This is, why didn't he fight against that? And he said, well, it's because he's, he's still figuring out who God is. And he's surrounded by Canaanites that serve other gods. And those other gods frequently ask a father to sacrifice one of their sons because that's what you do. Human sacrifice is part of those other religions. And so Abraham's going, well, I guess this God is like that too, and maybe it's not completely unreasonable. And so then for God to say at the last minute, no, don't sacrifice him. I don't want you to do that, is for God to say to Abraham, I'm not like those other gods. I'm different than those other gods. It's a huge mind-blowing lesson in that moment and a really obvious one for Abraham. It's not obvious to us. It looks like a mind game to us. But everybody has their version of normal, and there's different sides. Um, here's another thought. The language of battle is not always the same language of science or history, and it's not meant to be. And so you have, for example, later on in, in the Old Testament, you have King Saul. And he's instructed to kill uh, all the Amalekites. And, and so he says he does. Everybody agrees that he does. Great. Okay, so that's, that's done. Of course, they're still there when the next king comes along. And nobody seems surprised by that. So somehow this language of we killed them all doesn't exactly mean all because they're, they're still there, at least some of them. So this is why we think, this is why we learn, this is why we study in order to mature our faith. Now, let me throw out another thought, okay? If this is the only view we ever saw of God just calling his people, go invade a land and kill everybody, it would be simple. But it's not the only view that we see of God. It's not even the only view that the Israelites saw of God. They, and we have to count their opinion. We, they don't see God as an angry, vengeful monster. And we can't, in 2018, look back at their culture and go, well, their opinion doesn't count in their own culture. That's arrogant and really simplistic. These are, these are people, so we, ha- we have to give some room for that. These are people who understood mercy, and they understood justice, They had laws about caring for orphans and widows and people who were poor. They had laws that were probably stronger than our laws are, by the way, about having mercy on people that were in need. So they understand mercy and they understand justice and they saw God as having those qualities. They saw their God as having the qualities of mercy and justice and faithfulness. So you've maybe heard the story of Jonah. 
So Jonah is called by God. You got it's a whole different time in their history, but he's called by God. You got to go to Nineveh to foreigners who worship other gods and call them to repent. And Jonah says no. And why does he say no? Because he says, God, if I go and call them to repent, they're going to repent, and then you're going to have mercy on them. I don't want you to have mercy on them. I hate them. Jonah's complaint about God is you're too merciful. There's another part in the Bible where where King David sins and he really messes up and there's going to be a consequence to his sin. And God says, you get to choose the consequence. You can choose to have the consequence either from your enemies, from people, or from me, from God. Now, if you think God is a vengeful, angry monster and you have the choice with whether to take your consequence from him or from people, you're going to choose people. But David who, by the way, had never yet lost a battle with his enemies at that point, said to God, oh, don't hand me over to people. People are off. I would rather be in the hands of God. He sees God as more merciful than people, and he writes things like, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, God. And he writes things like, better is one day in your house, God, with you than a thousand days anywhere else. He he has this love for God. Even Moses, a little bit earlier, when he was offered the chance, God said to him, you know what? I've had it with these people. You go to the promised land. I'll send my angel with you. You'll still win all the battles. You'll get all the blessings. You'll possess the land. Just I won't be there with you. And Moses said, no. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from here. There's this perception, this personal relational trusting, this, this longing for God. There's a deep love and a trust demonstrated by God's people for God. And I struggle to think that would be true if they saw him as an angry, unpredictable, vengeful monster. So that's a thought. And let me just look at this a little bit from God's perspective, and then we're going we're gonna to go back to the story. So when we look at this, that was all human perspective, from God's perspective. Here's a question for you. When God promised the land to Abraham and said, this is the land I'm going to give you, Abraham was already living in it, why did he not just give it to him then and there? Why? Abraham's there. I mean, there's some other people there. It wasn't uninhabited. But why would you bother waiting if this is how it's going to be? But from God's perspective, and you're going to have to stretch here, but, but we've got to take what the Bible says if we're going to try to understand the Bible, okay? From God's perspective, the sins of the Amorites, those people living in that land, had not reached their peak yet. God said to Abraham in Genesis 15, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. That was Egypt. And in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So from God's perspective, God was going to wait 400 years before judging the Amorites for their sin. Which by that measure and that perspective becomes less an act of judgment and more an act of mercy. And you go, well, but how could they know? How could they know about sin? How could they know about God? Well, Romans, the book of Romans in New Testament says that God can be seen through creation. God can be seen through nature. He reveals himself to people. And so there's a sense of of being at least responsible for the part that we know, the part that we can see. 
And, and here's what I want to point out to you. There is no time in Scripture when somebody repents, anybody from anywhere, there is no time in Scripture when somebody repents and doesn't find mercy from God. They always find mercy. There is also no time in Scripture when God says, oh, well, I guess really sin isn't that big of a deal. Sin is a problem. And we're not kidding when we say that Jesus' death and resurrection saved us from that, saves us from sin. God is consistent in labeling sin as a problem. He is consistent in that, whether it's in his own people or other people, God is consistent in saying this is a problem. And God is consistent in labeling humanity as being in need of salvation from sin and in offering opportunities for repentance. He's consistent in that. And you go, oh, I still don't like it, Pastor Patty. You know what my answer is? Me neither. It's hard. It's tough. Our faith is not simplistic. And we need to wrestle with it and put thought into it. Now, now listen, can I just say, can we just move forward a little bit? In no way, in no way would I ever suggest that this is a pattern we should be following today. Oh, God told me to invade a nation, so I'm going to go. No, 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 no. Jesus is the fullest reveal, the fullest revelation of who God is. And so we look at everything through that lens. But I would suggest we need to actually grapple with who God is. We need to actually wrestle with that a little bit. And we need to acknowledge the problem of sin because it's no secret that part of the reason that God was saying you got to clear out these people around you was because there was a society that served false gods. And if they let that in, it was going to influence them and it was going to mess them up. And we will see as we move forward in the story that that does indeed happen. By the way, we still live in a society that serves different gods and we're killing, we're, we're kidding ourselves. If, if we think that that's not influencing us. How many heard Black Friday commercials this week saying you should just buy more, right? Buy more, buy more, buy more. We have a false god of consumerism in our society. And it's all absorbing and it influences us and stops us from living generously and from trusting God to provide. We have a false god of, we worship th- uh, this god of self-identity in our, in our society. Where we go, well, I'm just going to define myself and I'm just going to, how I feel is how I am. How I feel is who I am, and I'm going to be true to that because I have a responsibility to to be who I am and how I feel. Listen, can I just tell you, I don't know about you, I'm sure all of you are perfect, but me, how I feel sometimes is selfish, and sometimes I feel greedy, and sometimes I feel lustful, and sometimes I have a quick temper. But I choose not to be that. Because how I feel is not who I am. I am who God calls me to be, and I choose to be who God calls me to be, self-sacrificing and generous and monogamous and, and, and merciful and all of those things. And so there's false gods in our society that impact us. We need to do the tough work of grappling with who God is and, that mean, and what that means for our faith while we live in a world of false gods. Okay, take a deep breath. Okay. We're okay. Let's go back to the story. So there's this list of battles. You can read it yourself. 
I'll go through really quick. There's Jericho. They just, they just march around this heavily fortified city, and the walls just, they just fall down. And, uh, and, and that's when, by the way, that a woman who's a prostitute and a foreigner and everything that, that shouldn't be, she actually joins in with Israel and, and, and finds mercy and becomes part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. So again, you turn, you find mercy. And then they go to Ai, and they go to Ai, and there's a battle there, and they're badly defeated the first time because, as it turns out, there's a guy named Achan who's part of Israel, and he goes, well, I'll just take a few idols from Jericho, and it won't cause a problem. Okay, say it with me. Sin is a problem. Okay. Sin is a problem. And so he does that secretly. They go to Ai. They're defeated. They go, God, why? He goes, because sin is a problem. They deal with that. They go back to Ai, and they win. Okay? Now, at that point, Joshua pauses, and he builds an altar to God because he's really determined to do this right. And then it says in Joshua chapter 8, afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it's written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. He doesn't want them to forget. He doesn't want them to get off track. And so on it goes. So Joshua subdued the whole region. All these kings and their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. But let me point out that later on you're going to see there's still people in the land that they're still dealing with. So again, the language is up for grabs a little bit. And then finally, Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions, and then the land had rest from war. Oh, great. (laughs) Then the land had rest from war. God had done what he said. His promise to Abraham was being fulfilled. The descendants of Abraham are now countless. They're a great nation. They are in the land that God promised. Still to come is the part where God said all nations will be blessed through you. That hasn't happened yet. That's going to come later in the story. Okay? So then we get to the end of Joshua's life. A long time has gone by, and Joshua is super old now. And he knows he's not going to be around much longer, and he doesn't want them to forget. He doesn't want them to forget. It's so important. You've got to remember. And so he calls them all together, and he starts talking. And there's this pattern in his speech, which is about as long as Moses' speech, and, and it's this pattern of saying, do you remember? Remember what God has done for them. And then he calls them to respond and to say, we're going to serve God. And then he goes, remember, you got to remember what God has done. And then he calls them to respond, to stay faithful to God. And so he says in Joshua 23, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. In other words, I'm about to die. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he's threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he's given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he's given you. It's very clear. And then again, he reminds the people of what God has done. And then in Joshua 24, he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But 
If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, okay. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors, ser- whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But Joshua says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And so the people are called to respond, and they do. They go, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. And on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them the decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. And then he took a large stone, and he set it up there under an oak near the holy place of the Lord. So he makes a covenant. He reaffirms everything that they've said. He writes it down, sets up a stone to help them remember so that there's a reminder for everyone because they have to remember. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words that the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. And then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. In other words, saying, Go now, live this out in your own space, okay? And here's the happy ending. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And everybody said, yay! Then we peek ahead to next week, and it says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel, and then the Israelites did evil and served the Baals. But not today, as next week. Not today. Today, they're remembering, and they're choosing, and they're living out their faith. Everybody said, okay, okay, we're okay? Which brings us to here and now. Let's leave ancient Israel in their space. Let's come back to 2018 here in Montreal where we're living. And, and we're just like the Israelites in that it is so vital and it's so important that we remember what God has done. That we tell the stories and we say it over and over again. And we tell the stories to each other and we tell the stories to our kids. Some of us need to go home from church today with our kids and over lunch go, did we ever tell you about the time? when God answered this prayer or when God provided for us? Did we ever tell you this is why we live this way because we're followers of Jesus? We need to tell the stories to each other. We need to pass them on to other generations and we need to encourage each other with them. And it's really important that we do that and that we renew our commitment from time to time to God. And sometimes it's important that we do that together, building each other up in our faith. So we're going to do that in just a moment. We're almost there, okay? I'm going to ask you to stand first. And and I just want us to focus just for a moment because I want you to stop and ask God to just drop in and start just even considering yourself because it's important we respond to Scripture. And ask yourself, what have I seen God do? What promises has God fulfilled in my life? What are some of the things that God has done that I might forget but I need to remember. And let that start stirring in you and start building up your faith. And then ask yourself the question, what gods have I thrown away in my life in order to serve God? How have I changed? 
How have I been shaped? What choices have I made in my life that are a result because of serving God? Or even the question, when did you really choose, actually, to follow God? And some of you go, I haven't chosen yet. Okay, that's fair. But if you have, when did you? What was the story around that? What happened? Take a moment and let those questions start to circulate in your soul and start to figure out what some of those answers are. What have I seen God do? God, would you remind me of what, you, what I've seen you do? God, would you remind me of who I used to be and how I've changed? God, would you remind me of the moment when I decided this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow Jesus. You feel that starting to build up in your soul? Okay, this is the moment. Now, if you're really an introvert and this is just torture for you, I don't want you to be tortured so you can just go, I'm good, I don't want to talk. The rest of you, turn to somebody beside you and just tell them the answer to one of those questions. And you go, well, I don't think we're allowed to talk in church. Yeah, I say you are. We're going to sing in a minute. We're going to give thanks to God for what he's done. But would you right now turn and turn to somebody near you and say, this is what I've seen God done. Or this is when I became a Christian. This is when I decided to serve God. This is how I've changed. Go ahead. I know it's awkward. You can start by saying that. This is so awkward. And then tell them anyway. Go ahead. Take a few seconds. You only have a few seconds to do this. Don't miss your chance. some good stories in this church there's some stories of awesome things God has done of ways that he has changed our lives and when we share that with each other we start building our faith how many go I'm starting to feel a little built up at this moment I'm starting to feel a little bit encouraged
this service today, we end with a space of gratefulness. And we end with thanks to you. And, and we've covered a lot this morning. And there's some stuff that some of us are going to go home and go, ha, huh, I never thought about that. And our heads are a little bit full. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would protect our minds and our hearts. And as we wrestle with the tough questions of our faith, would you also protect our faith and keep us close to you? And God, as we now go out into our our real world, our homes and our work and our exams and um, classmates and neighbors and all that stuff, God, would you help us to carry Jesus there? I mean, help us to carry Jesus there. Would you help us to walk out of here so full of thankfulness and grace that we do good and we love each other and we reveal Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. And we ask that you would do that in Jesus' name, amen. As you leave this morning, make sure you can, you know you can go to one of the stations if you want to receive prayer. Meanwhile, say hi to somebody and you can sing again if you want as you leave. God bless you and we'll see you next Sunday.